All right, uh, if you're a child in here, um, it's actually Promotion Sunday, so you're heading straight to class. So uh, get going to class, and we will uh, see you later. Uh, listen, many of you joined us last week uh, at the park. We had a good time there and um, braved the heat and, uh, and all that food. Hope that you uh, had a good workout regimen this week to kind of uh, carry on from that. I'd invite you to just open your Bibles up uh, this morning. Actually, you can just pull them out and pull the notes out. I won't tell you where we're going quite yet. Um, as Rob mentioned, we're just uh, we're kind of wrapping up this series on demanding and just looking at the Great Commission is really a good overview kind of, of, uh, of what we're talking about, where Jesus says that we're to be teaching people uh, all that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Do you guys catch in the in the passage we just read that some disciples were worshiping him? It says the disciples worshipped him there, but some doubted. And uh, the reality is, as as we teach in any church service like this, as we talk in Bible studies and whatnot, there are some who are worshiping there, and there are some who are doubting. And um, and I don't know what you've walked in here this morning with, what your week has been like, uh, where you're at in terms of your walk with the Lord and your faith. Um, but I find it encouraging, actually, that the scriptures say that, uh, that both will often be present as we're, as we're talking. And it's not necessarily our place or our judgment to try and figure out, now, which one of you is doubting out here today? And which one of you is really worse than Jesus? That's not, that's not my place to, to decide. The fact is you're here, and that's a great place to be, is to come and sit at the Master's feet. And we're going to look at the Word of God this morning and, um, and see what it has to say. Let me say a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into things. Father, we thank you for music. We thank you, God, that um, some of the songs we sang today are a couple years old. Some are a decade old. Uh, sometimes we sing songs, God, that are hundreds of years old. And, um, Lord, there are psalms recorded for us that date back to uh, before you, Jesus, walked the face of this earth. And, God, songs have a good way of taking truth and giving us handles to kind of grab onto it and and let it sink down into our hearts and our minds and our wills. And God, I pray that right now as your word is spoken, Lord, that you would appeal to various parts of our, of our hearts and our will and our strength and our mind, God. I pray, Lord, that you'd give me uh, clear words to speak. I pray, Father, that we would receive from you, Holy Spirit, instruction and teaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking this morning about, uh, about passing it on, and we're just looking at these different commands of Scripture for everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. This isn't a separate brand of Christian who, um, who has to follow these commands. These are the basic commands of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I wanted to just kind of do a quick overview of the, of, of the idea of passing it on or passing on something. And um, just so we can get it out there, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Passing on can mean death, right? So that's not at all what we're talking about necessarily right now, but we're thinking it, so let's just say it. It's kind of a polite way or kind of a tamer way of saying that someone passed on, right? It means that they died and they, um, they've gone uh, into the next life. Um, but, but think about this. Think about that thing in your closet that you have and, um, and you don't really want anymore and you're cleaning it out. It's Saturday and you want to get rid of it, Okay. Um, that's something that you might want to pass on. 
Now, there's the, the lowest form of passing on is just junking it, but we've had this message drilled into us that we don't want to be you know, anti-green, uh, the opposite you know, spectrum of the color wheel, so we're like, we can't do that, that's, that's not politically correct, so we'll take it and we'll put it on our curb. How many of you, let's be honest, in the last year I put something on the curb, raise your hand, okay, look around you, people take stuff, okay, it's unbelievable what people will take from your curb, don't leave your children out there too long, they'll just swipe them right up, put stuff out there. We have a revolving plastic city in our house. People give us old plastic city stuff. We use it for a while. And if it's better than our older, older plastic city stuff, we take our older, older plastic city stuff, we put it on the curb. You know what happens to it? I don't either. It's gone, though. It's just, you put the word free, and people are like, ah, honey, stop! You know, we got to get it. They're shoving it in their mini. You know, they're just like, we have to have this. So whatever you don't want, you can put it on the curb, okay? Now, kind of a little bit more Silicon Valley, sleek, hip way to do it is free cycle. Anyone on free cycle? Free cycle is awesome. It's a good thing. I recommend it. It's a free account to do. Free cycle, you can post things like, um, like I have this, uh, whatever. I have a, a, a plastic, this is up for, for free cycle, by the way. A plastic thing with the little knobbies on it that you roll your office chair on. We just moved. We don't really have need for it. It's just painful to, to hold and carry. So... I'm thinking of putting on free cycle. So someone else comes along and they're like, man, I need one of those plastic things and they're knobby and I don't want to buy one at Office Max. And they're like, sweet, this guy over here has one. And so we do this little trade thing. It's kind of a, it's kind of a sleek way to, to do that. Now, what's interesting is you can put wanted on there. And um, I'm kind of thinking about putting like wanted iPhone 4. Or just, I mean, just to try it, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Steve Jobs free cycles and he'll just be like, oh, this poor sap needs an iPhone. Um, <laughs> But that's, that's kind of one. Now, now here's like a half step above throwing away, um, and that's re-gifting something, okay? Re-gifting something. Um, now, what's great about white elephant gift parties is that you get to give your junk away to people under the guise of giving, okay? Do you give? Oh, yeah, I give every Christmas. White elephant gifts, you know? And so you give people your junk. Now, the bad thing is, is you end up with stuff, okay? Tip for this December. If you're ever hosting a white elephant gift party, state very clearly at the start, Everyone must take their gifts with them. This comes from a decade and more of hosting white elephant gift parties. Um, kind of a notch below white elephant regifting is giving it to your second cousin at his wedding. That's a little bit, you know, it's like you just kind of buff it up and you kind of put fresh tissue around it and you're like, here, cuz, you know, uh, so don't do that. Um, the other idea of passing it on is like is like real gifting. Like you have something of value and that you want to give it to someone. And I, I think about like some family heirlooms are like this. You know, grandpa's pocket knife that you received when you were a boy and now your young man's coming of age. And you wrap it up and you go out in the woods and you hand him a stick and you say, you need something for that stick, boy. Or something cool, you just lift it off a movie. And you wrap it up and you give it to that person. You really want them to have it. I took my Bible that I had as a kid. I remember, um, I remember as a kid sitting in church, just like some of the kids are sitting here, and I would look at the pictures. I would just look at the pictures over and over. And it was kind of a, it's kind of the era because it was like the 70s. Everyone in the whole Bible had flowing feathery hair that was parted in the middle. It was kind of cool. Um, and wind was always blowing through it, you know. And um, so, uh, so I would look at those pictures. But this Bible, um, when I saw who gave it to me, it was my parents and what they had written and stuff like that. It was a neat thing to pass this children's Bible on to one of my kids. And that's something genuine that you want them to have and you're, and you're passing it on to them. But now I want you to think about the, the very biggest treasures that you have, the most important things that you possess. And sometimes we wait until the end of our life to, to, to do this. Think about on the deathbed of someone and, and them passing on words to you. 
and you're there and you're just, you're just there wanting to, to soak up every last word from grandma or grandpa or your parents or someone close to you that you just go, man, I just want to soak this in because they're, they're saying important things to me. It's when someone comes along and just says, man, um, I want you to have this and I, I want to schedule some time out and, and pass it on and, and give it to you well. This is where great uh, care and concern and thought is given to how can I ensure that this person will get this and receive it and carry this kind of weight of importance to it. If you're a Christian here, if you've been changed by the blood of Christ and you're a parent, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. It's what you want to give most to your kids. You may have grandpa's pocket knife and a Bible even, but those aren't really the most treasured things. Some of you may have even been like the wisest guy who ever lived and written things down for your kids, for posterity's sake. Just listen to Proverbs 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now that's King Solomon passing it on, saying, get this, my son, sit down, I've got something for you. I'm going to write it down for you. And here we are gleaning from it as well. But it's those things where we want to take incredible care to make sure that the handoff happens well. Let me take you back two summers ago. Uh, interesting that sometimes we get really wrapped up in a worldwide event that's going on, uh, say soccer today at 1030. Um, and the whole world, you just feel like it's so important. You've been so enthralled in it. You're watching it. You're talking about it. Everywhere you go, someone's talking about it. They got their shirts, all this stuff. Well, what's interesting is that those things pass, don't they? They kind of fade away. Two years ago, let me take you back to the bird's nest. Remember the bird's nest? Everyone was talking about the bird's nest. And my, my wife and I, uh, we got to drive right by the bird's nest because we were adopting Cassie about the, a few months before that. We drove by it and some others have visited it and stuff. But the bird's nest was everywhere. That's where I had all these different events going on and whatnot. Well, at the bird's nest two summers ago in August, uh, there was a man by the name of Tyson Gay. And, um, and he was the anchor man. And he was really trying his hardest to get this little metal stick from this guy named Darvis Patton. And he dropped it. Now, this was the first round. Our team had just won the world championships the year before. We were favored to win the gold. And I remember watching this, and they had had U.S. I don't know if other countries do too, but U.S. has a history of some drop batons when they're heavy favorites. And I remember watching each pass, and it's like, good, they're all the way to the anchor, and you just watch this thing fall. What was so shocking, though, was that 25 minutes later, Lauren Williams flubbed the exchange with Tori Edwards on the last leg in the first round. Once again, heavy favorites to at least be a contender. Now, here's what I want you to just get from this. I'm watching this going, this will preach. I mean, I'm going to use this someday. Now, it's taken me two years, but it finally fit in. But you watch this and you're like... I mean, these guys practice this. They think about this. They've rehearsed it. I read, I read an interview from this guy, Tyson Gay. He said, all week long, we hadn't dropped a single stick. We never dropped that baton. But when it mattered most, it fell to the ground. Now, the U.S. men just stopped racing. The, the women actually ran back, grabbed it, and kept running and finished the race out, which has whole different biblical implications that I really like. Go women's team. But... Um, <laughs> But the bottom line is, is that when it counted and when it mattered, 
The, the far more important thing was that you made sure that you got that thing and ran on. Here's what I want to say to you this morning is this, that every single one of us in this room, I don't know if you realize it, but you're a leader. Whether you've ever billed yourself as a leader or not, you're a leader. If you just watch someone go through uh, water, whether they're waiting or in a boat or a jet ski or whatever, watch, what, watch what's left behind. What is it? It's a wake, right? You all, you, every single one of us is leaving a path. We're leaving a mark. There are people watching you. Some of you are Sunday school teachers. Well, not really, because you're all out of the room right now. But, um, but, but some of you have been or, or, or will be. Many of you are parents, grandparents, cousins, uncles, friends. There are people right now that look up to you that would never say it in a million years, but they're watching you and they respect you and they look up to you. You know how I know that? Because I had brothers. And there's this natural thing built into brothers that we, we want to be like our older brother. And we're watching them. We'll never say it. We never admit it because we're guys. But, but that's how it goes. And we're, we're watching. So every single one of us in this room is going to leave a legacy. Now that ought to put um, some fire in you to say, man, I want to get this right. It also ought to put some fear of God in you. Like, man, that scares me to death that people are watching my every move right now. I'll leave a legacy. The question is, will it be intentional, careless, or indifferent in your handoff, in what you pass on? Some of you are going to be very intentional about it. But maybe when it matters most, man, you'll, you'll drop it. Some of you are going to be just totally indifferent about it, haven't ever thought about it, or don't think about it, or don't like to think about it. And some in this room may be just kind of careless about it. Not having put the proper weight there. Man, we'll get everything set up for a World Cup game. We've got the chips and the dip and, and our, you know, all of our stuff set up. We'll be really careful with that. But not take time for the more important things. I want to just think about some, some biblical passing on that, that we read about in scriptures. This is one of those um, ideas and topics that, uh, that there's a lot of modeling of this in scripture there's not as much teaching specifically about it but it fits under the guise or under the realm does it not of making disciples i mean it really does doesn't it that's what we're doing is we're we're passing on but where i feel like discipleship and i don't want to get too hung up on discipleship and mentoring although i think they're very different things and i think there's some overlap discipleship is definitely content related more now, there's relationship there and all of that, but there's, there's very clear discipleship-making pro- processes going on. And mentoring, really, it, it centers more around the relationship than it does the, 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 the content. As, so again, I don't want to get hung up on which one's which and identifying those and getting into specific definitions. I'll leave that for, for other people. But just think about this. There's Moses with Joshua. And there was a definite passing on there, wasn't it? And a, and a baton pass. There's Elijah and Elisha. There's Barnabas with Paul. And there's Paul with Timothy. In your bulletins this morning, I have it in your notes there, is 2 Timothy 2.2. Look at it right now, and I want you to read it with me out loud. 2 Timothy 2.2. And this is just one of those great uh, passages of Scripture where Paul is writing near the end of his life to this younger guy, Timothy. We've talked about this a lot in this building. And that is... That he wants to pass this on. He wants to do it well. He wants to be intentional about it. 2 Timothy 2.2. Read it out loud with me. Here we go. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Would you circle the word and trust for me? Circle the word and trust. Now Paul goes on in this passage to talk about a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer 
And although he doesn't go into this, I thought about all three of those um, ideas. Think about a soldier. A soldier is always paired with someone older and more experienced in what they're doing. Not necessarily older. Let me, let me take that back. But definitely more experienced in what's going on, right? And there's training that happens. Soldiers get mentoring. They get passing on their information and their knowledge. And if I was a soldier, I would want to spend time around someone who had been in battle before. To not just learn textbook stuff, but actual real life stuff. I was training to be a spiritual soldier, so to speak, as a pastor. And I really listened up close when someone said, Hey, we're, I've been a pastor in a church and I currently am and have been one for 25 years. And I would just sit there and I'd go, man, I just need to soak this. This guy has been there and is doing it. He's battle tested. I better just listen at his feet and write down a lot of what he says. Soldiers get this. How about athletes? Uh, the Tour de France is going on right now, and Lance Armstrong uh, is in the race, probably for the last time. Do you know that Lance Armstrong was, was mentored? He was, he was shepherded along by this guy named Eddie Merckx. Eddie Merckx is a Belgian guy that we don't know much about in the United States, but he won it five times, this, this grueling Tour de France race. And he poured into this little protege named Lance Armstrong, who was kind of brash and cocky and didn't know diddly squat about things. And he honed him, and Lance Armstrong was a smart enough guy to listen to this guy and get honed. Think about athletes. Athletes learn from coaches. Athletes learn from older players. You come in as a rookie. You think you're all that. You kind of get, you just kind of brought in and said, hey, you know what? You need to chill out a little bit and learn and watch a little bit because you don't know nearly enough. This isn't high school anymore. Just sit and listen and learn. And then I thought about a farmer. A lot of professions do this, but the whole idea of just passing on what you know to someone younger and less experienced than you. These are three great pictures of what goes on in mentoring kinds of relationship. You can call it leadership development. You can call it discipleship ma- uh, making. You can call it kind of a, an, an a, a, a apprentice uh, relationship, whatever. But, but all these things kind of carry this idea of passing it on, and we see it all over in our life. Now, now this passage here about the idea of, hey, these things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. That sounds like community groups to me. It just does. That there's teaching going on, that there's modeling going on, that there's mentoring going on, that it's really critical who's entrusted with this. Who are we going to entrust with this, with this biblical authority to come along and say, this person's a coach. Follow this person as they follow Christ. I didn't read this chapter in its entirety, but I have this mentoring book, and it said, um, everyone can be a mentor, but not everyone should. And kind of his, his thrust there was this. We're going to get into qualifications in a second. But everyone can be a mentor. Every single person, even if you've never thought of yourself in those kinds of terms. Everyone has something to pass on. Not everyone should means that there are seasons of your life where you really do need to get things squared away with you and the Lord. My biggest qualification in terms of someone who wants to come and work with our youth is that they absolutely love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, they have to at least like teenagers. That's, that's helpful. It really is. Teens have a way of growing on you, though. They, I mean, they, they really do. There's some people that just go, man, how can you do this, Dave? How can you work with junior hires? How can you work with high schoolers? How can you work? And I go, man, you just don't get it. I mean, they couldn't pay me enough not to do this. I mean, it just that's how it is. I just love it. But the most important thing for someone is to love Jesus and to follow Him. 
And as we've put community group leaders in place, we've been very careful to say we want to know who is shepherding in our community groups because of a passage like this that we're to entrust this to reliable men able to qualify to teach others as well. Turn over in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. I didn't put the whole passage in your notes because it was kind of long. But in Titus chapter 2 is kind of this great passage where it talks about older men and older women, younger women and younger men. Titus chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Now, I want you just to hear this. Don't get mad at me and say, this sounds not not like our culture at all. And what are you trying to say? Let's just let the Bible preach, okay? Let me just read this and just receive this as the Word of God this morning, okay? Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Do you see the picture? The picture is that of older serving the younger, older pouring into the younger. Now, let me just say something. I would love neighborhood Bible church in five years to be able to look around and just see this permeated culture that says, man, there's a culture here that says that those who are older and more experienced just serve the younger. Now, here's why it would be countercultural. Some of you are thinking in your minds already, that's already how our culture is. The young people are like, preach it. Let those old people serve me. And we serve, we, we live in a culture that especially in entertainment, Who's the smartest person? It's usually the teenager that kind of outwits the parents and outwits those that are in authority. There's a certain sense, too, that the young and the beautiful are the ones in the power and and in the control. And once you've gone past your prime, that that you're now serving kind of this this entourage. At least I can get on the entourage of LeBron James, even though I'm a has-been washed-up ball player. At least I can kind of get in on this guy's glory. So there's a certain sense right now that the older serves the younger in a really warped, twisted sense. Realize we live in a culture that worships the outside physical body, that worships those who, um, who have uh, stuff and possessions and, and can you know, invent things. Uh, you know, there's just different eras that you could go through, and those who are worshipped in our culture would be absolutely nothing and meaningless in other, in other centuries. But in this century, that's who, who gets it. I'm talking about older serving the younger in a totally different countercultural kind of way. It's this idea of Jesus, right? Where Jesus comes along and he washes his disciples' feet. Not because he's trying to get in good with these guys. He's like, cool, a, a, a group of young, hip guys, they seem like they're on top of the world. I'm going to kind of get in with them and be their rabbi. That'll be really neat. Rather, it's the God of the universe who has all that he could ever need, and he has all glory, and he stoops, and he humbles himself, and we just sang about this, that God comes and he, and, he, and he stoops down to wash the disciples' feet. Not because they deserved it, 
but because that's what he came to do is to serve. Uh, there's kind of a, um, a misperception maybe about mentoring. I don't know if we could do a show of hands. In fact, we won't. But if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you feel inadequate to be a mentor? Here's my hunch. Is it a vast majority? For sure, more than half of us would say, that's me. I mean, what do I know about anything? What do I know about parenting? What do I know about being married? What do I know about being a really faithful friend? I mean, singing faithfulness is what you want from me and what I need. I know that's true, but God, that doesn't seem like me. What do I know about finances? I've made tons of mistakes. What do I know about this, that, or the other thing? Most of us feel inadequate. There's a classic commentary on mentoring. It kind of shows the misunderstood nature of it in an old uh, Seinfeld episode. Seinfeld's dating this girl, Abby, and Abby has just lost her mentor for whatever reason. And Abby says this, well, I'm feeling a little disoriented. It's just weird for me not to have an advisor. Jerry says this, I can tell you what to do. Abby, no, it's more than that. Jerry, I can tell you what to think. Abby, I need someone I can trust. Jerry says, oh. (laughs) It's more than telling people what to do, right? Some of you are like, I want to be a mentor, man. I need people to obey me for once. And if I could just tell them what to do and tell them what to think, I'd be on top of the world. That's not at all what it is. When you think about uh, people, they don't need to be bossed around, right? They don't need to be told what to think. That's not how God created the universe. That's not what he needs from us or wants from us. What they, do know is, what they do need is care and they need guidance. I want you to think about qualifications of a mentor for a second. Qualifications of someone who would pass something on to you. I'm going to tell you the story of a, a real story with a fake name. I'll call him George, keeping with the Seinfeld theme. Um, and George is a guy that, uh, that right around... Um, Right around as early as he can remember, he was a little bit heavyset. He didn't fit in with kind of the normal, cool-looking kid. He was picked on. He was verbally abused almost everywhere he went. He kind of started to just play the role of kind of the little bit overweight kid that was nerdy and on the outs, and he just took it. And he seemed to just take all those words. But you know what those words were doing? They were just like little barbs that would get into you like a fish hook, and they don't go anywhere. They just stay there. And it began to kind of create this resentment in him and just kind of a bitterness in him and a real, real deep depression in him. Uh, right along, uh, later on in life, middle school, he started to do some things sexually, acting out sexually in some ways that just, um, it was him uh, just feeling like he needed a vent, feeling like he needed to choose a path and do some things. Right around the age of uh, kind of middle, middle teens, upper teens, um, his dad uh, up and left the family. And that was just another crushing blow to this guy. And uh, much, much later in life, if you were to go to George... And you were to say to George, you'd say, George, uh, and by the way, this guy just felt like, man, if someone older than me who wasn't a part of my family would have just been there for me, how would my life have been different? If you ask this guy, you say, George, let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, what kind of a position, what kind of a, what kind of a job or position would this guy have been required to have for him to, 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 to be of help to you, to be a mentor to you? You know what George would, would respond? He doesn't need a position. Okay, George, well, let me ask you another question. Um, does he have to be kind of the, the fit, trim, handsome, all-American person that would kind of help you and show that he's got a good discipline and handle on his life? Is that required? No, it's not required. How much money does this guy need? I mean, does he have to have a certain amount in the bank and manage it perfectly before he could have been a, a mentor to you and help you out and pass something along to you? At this point, George would be getting annoyed with you, wouldn't he? If you were to just ask George, George, what would, what would have been required? What, what would have made this guy qualified? 
Here's, here's probably his answer. His only qualification that, that, that he would have needed that day when my dad left and I needed someone to call was that he would have answered his phone and cared about me enough to listen. I hope that some of you right now are planning on writing a Facebook post, an email, a note, a phone call to a mentor that you've had in your life right now. Because you're thinking about it. God, it's a gift to me that you've given me this person. I've got someone like that. Thank you, Lord. Would you take that action step this afternoon and just thank them and let them know you had a huge impact on me, even if you haven't talked to them for 10 years? I bet there's others in this room who say, man, I'm George. How would my life have been different if someone who was just a little bit older than me and loved Christ cared about me for Jesus' sake? How would my life have been different? What's our qualifications? Uh, Probably not what we think. I was taught early in life that we should all have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy a Paul is someone who's older than you, been down the road more than you, has more spiritual wisdom. The guy just exudes the fruit of the Spirit. And you go, man, I need to be around this person. I have lots to learn in life. I'm going to rub shoulders with a Paul. This isn't a message about so much pursuing it, but every chance I got when I talked to young people, you know what I told them to do? I told them to go pursue a mentor. Because I knew a bunch of older folks in our church who had so much life wisdom to give but there was this chasm of fear and unknown and they wouldn't talk to each other, the old and the young. And I knew that's how God would want it to do. Some of you need to pursue a Paul in your life. Some of you need to get back in touch with your Paul and get going on meeting with this person. Good night, buy him lunch. That's well worth a a lunch, isn't it? To sit and just say, I need to bounce some ideas off of you. A Barnabas is someone who's a peer that's just an encourager. Who is it that you have in your life that just pours into you? that's right around the same stage of life as you. And you can just go, man, I'm feeling bummed about it. And they're not going to just give all the answers. They're not that much further ahead, if, if at all. And you kind of ping pong back and forth with this. You need a Barnabas in your life. And a Timothy is just someone younger that you are intentionally investing in. Don't be indifferent. Don't be careless with this handoff. And there's more than just your family at stake. I'm glad you're parenting, but I don't want it to be focused on the family completely, Right? I love that there are people who are parenting well in this room that are also helping me parent my kids. I hear them speak truth into my kid's life. I want you to know, I'm, I've, been, I've been given permission by certain parents. They say, would you feel the permission to just speak truth into my kid's life? We've got some of that going on in our family, and, it, and it's, a, it's a great thing to have this going on. We all need a Paul and a Barnabas and a Timothy in life. So what are we to pass on? What is it that we're to, 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 um, to give? Some of you looking at your bulletin cover. Some of you may not feel like an iPad today where you just go, man, I've got it all together. I'm the latest, greatest. I've got every working thing out. I'm a magical device. Maybe you don't feel like that. But when you look at it next to an Etch-A-Sketch, you go, you know what? I've got a few tips. There's a few things I've learned, even from my mistakes, that I can pass on to someone else. Um, when we think about passing on what uh, some would some would immediately say, well, we're supposed to pass on the gospel. Isn't that right? Isn't that what making disciples is all about? And I would say yes, a resounding yes. But so much more than that. More than words, pass on your care. More than content, pass on your time. Gift people with your relationship. 
I put this in your notes too, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Phenomenal passage. We're going to memorize it this week. It says this, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Because you had become so dear to us. You know how people become dear to you? You spend time with them and you serve them. When I first went from Los Gatos Christian Church where I had grown up and had my only pastor job to Valley Church, I went to a place that was foreign to me, that thought different than me, that the bulk of the people, I thought, man, these people are totally different than me. And because I was roughly in the same city, I had the opportunity to stick with what I knew and keep, keep the relationships that kept me feeling secure. And I told God, I said, God, you have called me to this new land called Valley Church out in Cupertino. And I couldn't have dreamt the differences in the surrounding community of Cupertino versus Almaden Valley, but they are vast. And so my wife and I made a point of just investing in people at Valley Church. We still kept in contact with people at Los Gatos Church, uh, but we only have a certain amount of hours in our day. So we poured the overwhelming bulk of our time into this new location and this new body and this new family. You know what happened? It became a delight to have these people over in our home. It became a delight to go to their houses and their parties and be there at, at important events. It became a delight to go on vacation with them because they had become so dear to us. That doesn't come from me standing up and spewing off the gospel and teaching, does it? That comes from me being in Mexico, being really frustrated at the smelly guy next to me who's not holding the wood still as I'm trying to cut it as we're building a house in Mexico. That's hypothetical maybe, but not really. But that's where it comes. That's when you just go, dude, I love you, but I almost chopped off my thumb. That's where, that's where these bonds begin to form. When four years ago we started up this new work, the same exact thing happened. I loved a group of people. I loved being with them. And I felt God's clear call to come down here and say, Dave, you and your family and others, we all joined together and we started this new thing down here and went through the same process. So specifically, what are you to pass on? Here it is, your care. Let me just throw this out to you. Your genuine interest and you going up to someone and you taking a genuine interest, not just for a season of time, but for a lifetime of saying, what are your priorities and how can I help you accomplish those priorities? It doesn't have to be in the same field. It doesn't have to be in the same kind of genre of life. But you being an older Christian person and just saying, hey, what are your goals in life? What are your priorities? How are you doing? How can I help you get there? Have you thought about this a little bit? What that does is that grows into this amazing relationship. And I just have this, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. Genuine interest. Genuine interest for the sake of Christ. It may be uh, forced a little bit at the beginning. I don't feel comfortable with these people coming to my home and feeding them dinner. Do it anyways. Love them. And, and you'll get over that. God will begin to knit your hearts together in some things. The second thing, not just your care, but your life. 1 John 5.10 says this, Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony of God in them. You may get all tongue-tied when you try to share the gospel with people. You may get all flipped up in, in your content when you're trying to kind of communicate in a formal setting. But you have the testimony of God in you. You're, you're what, what Paul calls a trophy of grace. Not just one time long ago when you got saved. I'm talking about right now. Trust me, you're a trophy of grace. 
You're a picture of a merciful God who shouldn't be putting up with you and your antics, but he does. And he woos you back into relationship, and he woos you back into purpose. You have that to pass on. I want to give you just kind of four areas um, in, in, under this idea of life. How do I pass my life on? Well, let me say this, first of all. Your life has a message. Your life has a message, and, and maybe no one's going to write a, a, a biography about you and it'll get published, but your life really does speak volumes, and it has a message. And anyone in this room today that is feeling like, well, I don't have something to pass on, and you're a Christian, that's the devil wanting to keep your life silent. He's wanting to keep you silent. Because if you don't speak out about your testimony and how God's working in your life, that will be lost to this body of believers forever. Does that make sense? No one else can share that story for you. I heard two people's testimony this week. I wasn't trying to get uh, illustration material. It just happened. I got to hear two different ways that God drew people from being enemies of God into his kingdom and being in his family. And both of them fired me up. And I found myself passing their story on to people I love, saying, you wouldn't believe this cool story I heard. Isn't God amazing? Isn't God creative in how he gets us? I mean, it's never quite the same. It's unreal. He's so good to us. Uh, let me just uh, let me give you four areas. Your testimony, the story of how you began, but also continue in your relationship with Jesus speaks to people. Your testimony of how you began your relationship with Christ is a powerful story. Don't give me that, man. I wish I had a more radical uh, testimony. Trust me, you have a radical testimony. You were an enemy of God. You were born in the flesh under God's wrath. And now you've been enlightened. Now you've been gifted eternal life. Now you've been offered a seat at the king's table, not as a servant, but as a son. Trust me, it's a radical story. Darkness, utter and complete darkness, stubbing your toe, bonking your forehead, darkness into glorious light. Fruit of the Spirit that you couldn't muster up for year after year of trying that now is pouring out. I mean, you have a radical testimony right now. Share that. Pass that on with people instead of hoarding it. Don't be like the nation of Israel. Don't be like a nation that says, God, bless us. Give me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a thankful person. But you just store it up. God says, man, give it away. Even give away your struggles. The disciples worshipped him, but some doubted. Are you in a period of doubting, but you know God's there, and you know Jesus has you, even though you don't feel like you have him? Share that with people. Open that part of your life up to people. It's a scary venture, I know. Under kind of the share idea that's in your notes, how do you nurture your intimacy with God? You know, it's a great question to ask. I got to ask this of a buddy of mine last week. Hey, how do you just nurture intimacy with Christ? What are you doing right now? What's God got you doing? I ask that question to older people that I respect their walk all the time. All the time. I just say, hey, what do you do? What does a quiet time look, look like for you? Because I want to I wanna stay sharp. I want to keep fresh. Those who are parenting and they're through the teenage years and their kids seem to be somewhat on track and they still love them. I say, what did you do? Talk to me. I, I want to know what, what happened. Every pastor's kid that came through my youth group, I, I would invest time in them and say, tell me about what it's like to be a pastor's kid. I want to know. Because you know what? I'm raising pastor's kid. He's one year old right now. 
But I, I want to know what it is like to be a pastor's kid and what are the struggles and what are the benefits and all that kind of stuff. Figure it out. Go, go pursue it. But how do you nurture intimacy with God? How do you budget? How do you pray without ceasing? What does that look like? How do you love other people? What does it mean to be on mission? I mean, open up your life so that people can ask these kinds of questions to you. Secondly, you all have life lessons. Think about the most important lessons that God has taught you. They may have come from failure, from lack of money, from pain or sorrow or depression. It may have come from a season of waiting, kind of that dark night of the soul. God, where are you? My my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. may have come from an illness that you have or are experiencing. It may come from disappointment. It may come from your family, your church, your relationships, your small group. It may come from your critics. What are the most important life lessons you have? Pass those on to people. Do you get that this isn't age sensitive? You don't have to be 80 to learn some life lessons, do you? I mean, you could be in sixth grade this morning and you could say, you know what? I know what it's like to enter into third grade. I remember that year. I remember some things about it. Pass on what God has taught you. Pass on the grace God has given to you in these seasons of life. Others will be built up in the faith to know that you do come out on the other side. It's incredibly encouraging to people with cancer to see Lance Armstrong and say, this guy is not only still alive, but very much alive. He goes around promoting cancer and uh, research and, and treatment and all that kind of stuff. And pe- he said people just want to touch him. They want to come up and just say, I just want to see that it's real. Because I have a head uh, shaved right now and I'm going through chemo and this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, and I just want to know that you can get out the other side of this. And when I've had kids that have called me up and said, Dave, um, I really don't know what to do. I say, what's going on? They say, my, my parents just told me they're getting a divorce. I just go, well, I'll just drop everything. I'll come be with you. Let's go talk. Let's go hang out. And one of my messages is this. My parents got divorced, and I'm right here, and I love you, and I care about you, and God's got a purpose for you when you're an old dude like me. And it just helps to know that you can come out the other side of that. What are the life lessons you have that can be passed on? How about this? Godly passions. Do you know that the passions that fire you up and get your juices going are from God? Do we not have a God who loves intensely? Do we not have a God who hates intensely? And does it not stand to reason that His children are just like Him? We're created in His image. So allow those passions to bubble up and pass those on. Listen to the prophets. Your message burns in my heart and bones, and I cannot keep silent. I cannot shut up about this. It has to come out. That's the prophets. Jesus was pretty fanatical, was he not? There was a little episode that went on, and his disciples, it's recorded this way. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. By the way, that would be when Jesus tied whips together and like chased people out in anger because they had degraded God's house of worship. God gives passions for you to champion a cause. Not just to stir a little thing neato when a little commercial comes on and you feel kind of stirred up and then you go back to you know whatever the latest thing is. Beijing World uh, Bird's Nest, uh, World Cup, you know whatever the little latest thing is. What if God's stirring a passion in you to create a movement? Sometimes these are born of personal pain. Think about people who've lost a child, who've been abused, who've had addiction, who've been infertile or had a disease, and it causes them to rise up and champion a cause. 
That's the story behind uh, America's Most Wanted. This guy had some bad things happen. He said, I'm going to do something about it to help people. All these different kinds of things that go on because people were hurt and they said, I want to help other people get through this. Sometimes the passions um, are born out of speaking up for those who can't. Let me just throw a short list out to you. The unborn, the persecuted, the poor in our community, those who are in prison right now, and orphans and foster kids around the world and in our neighborhood. Sometimes God gives you a passion for some specific area of ministry or service. There are people who are just fired up about starting new churches. Pray right now for four church plants going on in the downtown San Jose area. Four. And they're in communication with each other. They're not competing with each other, to the best of my knowledge. I've met with a couple of the different groups. Pray for them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. It's awesome. But God does, and God's stirring this thing up. There are some of you that might be church planners. Some of you, you just go, man, there's this neck of the woods. There's this group of people that no one's reaching or caring for. We have to do something. They're dying and going to hell without Christ. Act on that. Some are, some are passionate about building up families. Some are passionate about training young leaders. Some are passionate about refugees and international students. Bible translation, people groups that are forgotten or not talked about. What's your passion? What has God stirred up in you that caused you to go, we've got to do something about it. No one's doing enough about it. And so we do it. Some of you may not know this, but my wife is passionate about adoption and about orphans. And if my wife hasn't cried in a while, I'll just put on a song or play a song about orphans and things like that, and she'll start to cry. I know this about my wife. Now, my wife is not passionate about World Cup soccer, okay? I don't think I've ever seen her cry at a soccer game. Um, she's cried because she's had to go to early ones, I think, for the kids. But, but that's because God's just put that in my wife's heart. And, and it's just this passion that's there. And I go, man, that's just so beautiful to see. Because it's not like she mustered up. I'm going to give, I'm going to do this niche. I'm just going to kind of play this role of loving orphans. It just bubbles out. You can't, she can't help herself with it. And some of you may have suppressed some things. Maybe some of you have said, man, my time has passed. I, I would have loved to have been a, a church planner. I would have loved to have been a disciple or a trainer up. Forget about it. God's still got a heartbeat in you. Your time hasn't passed. Finally, the good news. I put this last because I think sometimes we think the gospel first. Pass on what? Content, words, attract, prayer. Those are great things. And I don't want you to miss this. To give everything else away in our neighborhood and to share everything devoid of the gospel is a massive, not only a mistake, it's a, it's a complete failure of what we're doing as a church, right? Of course the gospel better, better like be intertwined in all of this. But I love this passage in 2 Thessalonians 2.8 where it says, We delighted to pass on you not only the gospel of God, but also our very lives as well because we become so, so fond of you. And if you hold up this simple truth of the good news, that you're born under God's wrath, that you're born an enemy of Christ, and without choosing to put on Christ, without choosing and repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry for it, I turn from it, that you are under wrath, but that to receive this, this gift of Christ puts you forever in God's good graces. And your life is lived as a response to that. You hold that simple truth up, and, and it kind of is like a filter for all these other things that, that, that you're passing on, right? 
I want people to follow people who are following Christ. I want my kids to get around youth pastors, youth leaders, adults, grandparents, and uncles, and aunts who are following Christ. And I want to say, see how they're doing that? You follow that. You be like that. If someone's heading down a path like a, like a child actor star, like where are they now? You don't want them to come and mentor your children necessarily, right? Because you don't want them to be on VH1 specials like 20 years from now telling about how terrible their life turned out. That's the last thing I want from my kids. But you see someone who's on a path that's worth following. You say, man, you need to come get around. How can I, how can I weasel my way into this person's life and spend time around that person? I close with this. Uh, Think about this. People need others who've walked before them, showing them the way. I want you to think about that as a person. You're a people, right? You need people who've walked before you, showing you the way. And people around you need you to show them the way. Even if you feel inadequate. Even if you feel like you don't have much to pass on. Now, if every single person who was younger than us looked like this, I mean... Wouldn't we just have a mentoring explosion going on? I mean, we would. We'd be like the mentoring church. And people are like, man, they're doing something over there. Because everyone's just investing in the lives of these young people. There's discipleship and mentoring. Here's Here's what people younger than you look like. Okay? This is what they look like. It's true. Get around them. And because they look like this, you know what our selfish heart says? Too much trouble. Our selfish heart says, unresponsive. They'll, they'll, they won't care what I say. Our selfish heart says, not worth the time or effort. Not worth the risk. And so we pass them by. If we could see them spiritually, if we could see them as God sees them, that kid with the tricked out hair and piercings in places you wouldn't even dream of putting a piercing, he's that first slide. He's that, he's that little needy puppy that desperately needs you in his life to pour into him. But the exterior is going to be arms folded, can't even see the face, looking down, whatever. And that's how it's going to be. I want you to think about what you know right now. I want you to think about who you are right now. And think about who taught you those things and how to be who you are and what you are. Someone poured on to you. Someone passed things on to you. Someone coached you or is coaching you through life. I have this dream for Neighborhood Bible Church where I look around and I just say, what if every single one of our young people here at Neighborhood Bible Church, from the nursery up through college right now, what if every single young person at Neighborhood Bible Church had a mature believer who would choose them who would say, I choose you, and I'm going to hide you in my heart. I don't care if we're at Neighborhood Bible Church for six months together or ten years together. I don't even care what church you go to. I'm hiding you in my heart. I'm going to be a lifelong prayer supporter for you. I'm going to be a lifelong cheerleader of you. I'm going to be a lifelong friend to you. I'm going to offer to you and extend to you, no matter where I am or what's going on in my life, that you can call me and I will pick up every single time without fail, for a lifetime. Gang, that's what we need. That's what God's called us to do. That's what you needed growing up. That's what our children need today.
The question with that dream is this. It can't happen from me. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to step into to say, something has to be done here? I'm not content with just losing generations of kids and wishing it could be different. I'm going to give you a band. Why don't you come on up? I need you to focus, even though the band's walking forward. Here is, um, here's your application. You get to do your own application here, okay? I'm going to give you uh, Dave's top ten for sabotaging mentoring relationships, okay? You get to draw your own conclusions from this. Um, here's number ten. Number ten is this. Never, ever prepare. If you're meeting with someone... Um, just don't ever plan on this happening. Just let things happen. Be indifferent and careless <clears throat> with any time that you spend with someone that you're trying to pass something on to. Number nine is this. Always talk about yourself. Just go into that mentoring relationship and really monopolize the conversation. Every heart to heart, turn it back to your life and your experiences. Really give them a taste of who you are. Number eight, have unrealistic expectations. I want you to set standards so high and discipline so high that you yourself could not possibly meet and then be condemning of their pathetic performance as they kind of share with you their journey. Number seven, don't get personally attached. This is an assembly line process. And so uh, don't spend any extra time together outside of this mentoring relationship because that would just you know possibly get you going in the uh, attachment. Avoid serving at all costs. See yourself as a special, indispensable brand of Christian. Assume that God has turned over all control of these persons to your lives, and above all else, treat your students as lesser individuals in desperate need of your enlightenment. We tracking? Number five, uh, never, ever pray for them. Um, don't pray for spiritual growth or personal needs. Um, praying only brings you closer together, which would violate number six. Uh, if you must pray for them, pray for them when you're not focused, like you're falling asleep, you're trickling off, say a quick prayer then or whatever else. Uh, number four, use ridicule whenever possible. Resist any effort to build them up and especially make a face when they answer something incorrectly. Like even the simplest person in the world would have gotten that right besides them and remove all encouraging language from your vocabulary. Number three, never let them see you sweat. Only put off your strengths. Only let them know about the very best parts of you. Share nothing personal or less than perfect about yourself. Number two, be divisive. Criticize the staff at your church. Criticize their boss. And, and above all else, just try to create a little uh, us too and no more, which doesn't rhyme, uh, you know, with, with other groups and try to be faction with, with people. And the last thing and most important thing is stop pursuing God. Assume that you're done. Assume that you have arrived as the perfect Christian and that you want to pass on all of that to a person. Ten things, if you want to sabotage any mentoring relationship you're going to get involved in this week or this year, do these ten things, right? All right. Um, let me pray, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll sing this song. This song we're about to sing, by the way, is uh, it just communicates this, that there are people around you. Maybe the very people you're praying for are sitting in this room. Maybe the answer to someone else's prayer is you. This song is called Walk with the Wise. Who are you walking with is my question as we leave. Let's pray. God, thanks that we can see in Scripture, Lord, time and again, uh, this idea of passing it on modeled for us. 
And God, it's written down so that we can, we can look at it and we can read it again. And we can tell the stories to ourselves and to our kids. And we can try to emulate that which is worth repeating. And we could learn from the mistakes that have been made from others that have gone before us. God, I pray that you would um, drive deep in our hearts an intentionality and a passion uh, to pass on, God, not only the gospel, but our very lives as well, because people have become dear to us. In your name we pray. Amen.